0: The fact that you're listening to Revolution Health Radio tells me that you care about health as a topic, but also as an issue. The current medical model is no match for the challenges it faces today, let alone tomorrow. We'll always need doctors, but what we need now is an army of healthcare professionals skilled in helping people make diet and lifestyle changes that could literally save their lives. What if you could earn a living making an impact like that? You can, It's the job of a health coach, and they play a critical role in the future of medicine. Now, not everyone who's fascinated by functional medicine wants to do it for a living, but the people who end up pursuing a coaching career start where you are, curious, passionate, and driven to make a difference in people's lives and on the future of healthcare. I consider it my mission to give health coaches the skills they need to make a difference. That's why I created the ADAPT Health Coach Training Program an online 12-month certification that will prepare you for a successful career as a health coach. Unconventional solutions require unconventional people, and if you're one of them, and get excited about the idea of building a career and a business by helping other people make real and lasting changes, we need you, desperately. Becoming a health coach could change your life, it could also change the world. Go to cresserco slash success to learn more. That's k r e s s e r dot co slash success. Hey, everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. This week, I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Ken Brown as my guest. Dr. Brown received his medical degree from the University of Nebraska Medical School and completed his fellowship in gastroenterology in San Antonio, Texas. He's a board-certified gastroenterologist and has been in practice for over 15 years with a clinical focus on inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. So I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Brown about his experience treating GI conditions from a functional perspective. He's one of the few functionally-oriented gastroenterologists um, that I've met and have interacted with over the years. And he's developed a specific treatment for Uh, IBS, bloating, and SIBO that we're going to be talking about in particular because I found it to be very helpful in my practice, and I will also often recommend it to people who aren't able to access a Functional Medicine Practitioner because it's safe and it works so well. So we're going to uh, dive into that in a little more detail and just talk uh, about some of the research that he's done and he is doing and how he looks at these kinds of conditions from a functional perspective. So... Without further delay, I bring you Dr. Ken Brown. Dr. Ken Brown, I've really been looking forward to this. Thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Uh, Chris. Love coming back on the show and uh, congratulations to all the success that Revolution Health Radio has achieved since the last time I was on. Actually, you were pretty big then also, so thank you for having me
0: back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And for the people who missed that first episode, maybe we could just start a little bit on your background. You were... Uh, You're conventionally trained as a gastroenterologist, but then at some point you made the switch over to a more functional medicine perspective. So tell us a little bit about how that happened. You know, what prompted that and, you know, what led you down that path?
1: So I consider myself a functional gastroenterologist right now. And I know that a lot of functional medicine people that I've met they have a really cool story about how they were overcoming a disease and then they learned through a different path. Mine's a little bit different. I was actually doing pharmaceutical research and w- multiple studies. And that's when I realized that, wait a minute, they're really ignoring huge gaps in healthcare, And that's where I started going down this whole path of how can we do things different than how this large pharmaceutical um, conglomerate is out there developing these drugs but not really looking at the other processes so I came about it because I was actually doing clinical research on drugs and went there has to be a better way
0: that's that's cool because it's a totally different story like you said than you usually hear you came at it from the other end of the spectrum right exactly kind of seeing under the hood of that drug research and and then realizing wait a second um these drugs are just really kind of dealing with the symptoms and the ultimate manifestations of these problems they're not really actually addressing the the core problems
1: 100 percent. and then looking back in that time it's really i don't know whose fault it is it's the whole industry but you know the pharmaceutical companies put so much money into research and development that by the time they go to a trial phase they've got that thing pretty well Dialed in that they're going to get whatever statistical analysis that they kind of want. So they're not going to spend $40 million to get to a study and then have a study blow up on them. So that
0: reminds me of the Upton Sinclair quote, which I often, I'm sure my listeners have heard me say it a million times. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary is dependent on him not understanding it.
1: I've I've actually never heard the quote, but that makes total sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the the great truisms in life, right? Uh, Upton Sinclair was good at distilling those. So yeah, I I mean, one of the things I've always appreciated about your work is your research uh, focus, which of course comes from your background in clinical research. And that goes, of course, uh, right along with the product that You created AtronTeal that I use a lot in my practice and we're going to be talking a lot more about uh later on in the interview but maybe you could just uh we can set the stage by telling folks a little bit more about your your research that you've done and what you're working on now because that's I think a really important you know piece of what you do and what you bring to the table.
1: Yeah so for anybody that doesn't know I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist in internal medicine and gastroenterology. And I took a a big interest in my field and my specialty with irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease and autoimmune process. And that's when I started getting into research, pharmaceutical research, and stumbled onto this concept that we ended up developing outrantil over was the fact that irritable bowel syndrome could actually have a cause and you know, ultimately that became small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and so mm-hmm. on, and so that was the beginning of realizing, okay, there could be this whole new world. And we launched Atrantil about five years ago, and have learned so much since then. And so you asked what kind of new research we're headed. Once we had, once we published our studies on Atrantil, I had to, um, you know, you have to func- you have to focus on trying to get the word out, trying to get people. Yeah. Uh, you know, more people on this thing, and so it, it, throughout this whole process, I'm being contacted by scientists all over the world. I've got PhDs discussing different aspects about how these molecules and altrontial called polyphenols can actually benefit people, and that's where the science is headed right now. It's like, wow, okay, if I can get back to where we can start doing some clinical analysis, because I'm a mm-hmm. clinician, so I want to know how does this work in the real world ultimately. Yeah, and there's some great ideas out there, and we're working on a few new products actually, so it's really cool.
0: Yeah, this is definitely an exciting time. There's lots. I, I think we're just scratching the surface of understanding the microbiome, and you know how things should should work in the gut and the different um, pathological states when they when when things veer off from how they should work. And you know, for example, I you probably heard this. I I recently read a paper that where you know, uh, Dr. Pimentel and others are now proposing separate category um, for what we used to call uh, uh, methane predominant SIBO. Uh, we've talked about SIBO, you know, on several different episodes, so I think a lot of the listeners will be familiar with it. We'll back up and do a little primer in a moment, but a fully separate condition now called IMO or intestinal (laughs) methanogen overgrowth um, to distinguish that from SIBO which usually involves bacteria that produce hydrogen whereas IMO would be archaea that produce methane and they actually result in distinct clinical presentations with different signs and symptoms and so you know we're now really looking at these as maybe um, related but distinct conditions that might require Separate treatment, and and this could be a good segue for talking a little bit more specifically about what you do in your clinic, because this is your area of expertise and what you focused on SIBO and now IMO um, and IBS C, which is IBS constipation, IBS M, which is IBS uh, that has mixed constipation and diarrhea. And this is interesting because I mean you and I both know, can when you look in the literature almost. A lot more of the studies talk about IBS-D with uh, diarrhea. It's more common. There are more treatments available for it. And you specifically chosen to focus on IBS-C and M and, and SIBO. So talk talk a little bit about um, that. You know how how you ended up with that focus, and and then you know what you're working with in the clinic there.
1: Absolutely. So how did I end up working on this focus involves the person you were just talking about, Mark Pimentel. Mm-hmm. I was actually doing, I was part of the studies for the original Zyfaxin studies and Mark was sharing his animal data way before it even was kind of general to the public because it was right. so fascinating to me. He's the one that said we'll never be able to treat the methane predominant uh, bacterial overgrowth because Archaeobacter are not bacteria. So I think it's mm-hmm. funny. That was like 10 years ago. And then this year he's saying it's IMO. I'm like, you could have said you know, I- IMO back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah. And and you know, for people who are not familiar with SIBO who are listening, which I don't think are, you know, at this point are very, very many, maybe you could just give a kind of overview of SIBO and IMO and and then IBS C and 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 IBS mix and how they're how they're different um, from you know IBS D which is the more typical presentation.
1: So irritable bowel syndrome as a gastroenterologist and you've had several gastroenterologists on your show it really is the most common condition that all of us treat and what's really weird is, is that the symptoms that the, that the society has agreed upon are really kind of vague and kind of trash can. Do you have abdominal pain? Do you have a change in your bowel habits? Is the pain relieved with using the restroom for at least once a week times three months? Very, you know, weird diagnoses. So the irritable mm-hmm. bowel syndrome, we now believe many of them um, could be a result of bacterial overgrowth. So studies showed that many people that had an intestinal infection would later develop irritable bowel syndrome. And that's when the whole concept that Dr. Pimentel figured out with animals first and then moved it into human and has definitely been pushing the boundaries every single time. And I love it. Um, with it, When you have some sort of event, you change the motility. And I'm going to say this a couple times, Chris, because I think that that is the future of where we're going to have to head with treating a lot of different diseases. It yep. comes down to the motility. And it's, it's really exciting because there's the people that have been watching this, the people that are just now learning about SIBO, meaning my colleagues, are going to be a little bit behind. But when we're looking at this, it comes into motility. So mm-hmm. when something affects the motility, it, your intestines that normally move continually from mouth to anus, they kind of stop for a moment. And if that were to happen, then it is possible that bacteria can grow. If bacteria starts to grow, then whenever you eat, specifically something like a carbohydrate, because bacteria love those, then they can digest it before you can. And this is how I explain it to my patients when it's a very classic SIBO presentation. And then when you mention that is there increasing, um, you're talking about irritable bowel with diarrhea, Mm -hmm. definitely the studies would suggest that there's more IBS D and off on a quick rabbit hole. I'm not really sure that that's true because many times IBS-C presents as functional constipation. That's the diagnostic code, which is right. how they do the research versus IBS-C with methane production. So that's just there. So um, what we do believe is is that if you happen to have been normal, you had antibiotics, got an infection and then you have trouble eating, then it is possible that you have this thing called SIBO. And if you have diarrhea after you eat, it is possible that you are producing hydrogen sulfide. And if you're very constipated, it's possible you're producing methane. And since you're bringing up the recent articles with IMO and all that, as you know, it's kind of a finally a moving target for the academic centers. And I say finally because... the functional medicine community has been talking about this for quite a while, and now we've got Mayo doing research on it. Right. We've got other people.
0: It's so. definitely more on the radar in the conventional world, which is good because we get more research and more insight and data on all this stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the conventional approach to these conditions, <laughs> specifically how it's lacking, um, because this is, I mean, as you pointed out, these, these are not rare. Um, conditions. These are conditions that affect a shocking number of um, not only Americans, but people worldwide. And I think the prevalence is even under understated because a lot of people are not comfortable talking about digestive issues. And I, you know, I I know from doing intakes um, on patients for, you know, well over a decade, um, oftentimes, you know, and this is more common in males and females, but You'll get, I'll get a a, a male patient who comes to see me for high cholesterol and um, maybe declining exercise tolerance and performance or, um, you know, cognitive issues. And GI problems won't even be on their top five complaints. It won't even be listed anywhere in, in, you know, where they could actually fill out their complaints. But when you get to the section that asks them about the function of their body systems, They've got you know, nearly constant gas and bloating or diarrhea every day or whatever, and they've just kind of learned to live with those problems and don't really see them as problems. And so those people are not really even reporting um, those issues to any doctor or any other kind of uh, research authority. So I, I'm curious what you think, but I think these, these, these problems are even more widespread than the statistics let on, and the statistics are already pretty significant.
1: Every time they look at this, and when you start realizing that bloating is not even a symptom that's included in the IBS criteria, the DSM or the IBS, whatever, four criteria that it is now, that that's one of the problems, we don't really discuss what the true symptoms are. And you're exactly right, when, when you see somebody much like I would do if I see somebody and they're saying, Oh, I've got a little bit of a rectal bleeding. uh, so I'm here to schedule my colonoscopy. Okay. Then you look at their med list. You're like, it looks like you have Hashimoto's. Wait a minute. You've Mm -hmm. got rheumatoid arthritis. Also the second I start asking about gut health, they, they all have issues. Mm -hmm. And the reality is the state of our digestive health will determine how we feel physically and mentally. I mean, the GI tract plays such a central role in everything, including um, brain health, immune health, all the really important stuff. Right. So, I mean, there's there's
0: two ways to get energy, right? Breathing, air and food. (laughs) So (laughs) if one of those is not working well, we're going to suffer. So, yeah. So getting back to the treatments, like, Again, my listeners have heard me go on about this ad nauseum, but I'm, you know, and I wrote a book about it where the, one of the fundamental issues with conventional medicine is that the approach is primarily um, based on suppressing symptoms with drugs and not really addressing the root cause. And I think digestive conditions are, are really the penultimate example of this. If you look at the drugs that are available for these conditions, it, it's, um, it would almost be comical if it wasn't so sad, you know. So if someone has diarrhea, you basically got Imodium and other uh, uh, drugs that slow down the the motility. If you've got constipation, you 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 have laxatives. If you have acid reflux, you've got proton pump inhibitors that suppress stomach stomach acid production almost to zero, which has lots of risks, you know. <laughs> both outlined, um, and you know. Then, if you've got IBS, you've got antispasmodics or other drugs that can, you know, reduce that symptom. Uh, you've got SSRIs that are often prescribed, uh, but in, in really no case that I can think of is there a drug that that's actually addressing the root cause, with the exception of antibiotics for for SIBO. But I don't know if we can really I, I, treatment of SIBO has definitely gone a little bit more mainstream now and, and certainly some conventional gastroenterologists are using that and of course you know Mark Pimentel would consider himself a conventional gastroenterologist and in, 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 I don't know that he identifies I, we've talked about this on the podcast he doesn't necessarily identify as a functional medicine guy <laughs> um, but you know, it's still not widespread. You know, I, I, there's many, I have many patients who've gone into their conventional GI doc looking for SIBO treatment only to be kind of turned away. Um, yeah.
1: So your initial question was, well, like what, what are you seeing in the conventional? And unfortunately, Chris, this is the whole SIBO thing. Really, it's still on a really slow uptake with most conventional gastroenterologists. Therefore, if you see somebody and they have normal labs and a normal colonoscopy and endoscopy, then it's pat you on the head, good news, yeah. you just have an IBS and more often than not it's the SSRI that gets pre- that actually gets prescribed yeah. first, yeah. which is scary.
0: It is scary. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's this is a situation that's been going on for a long time too, and so it's it is you know, I'm happy to see that more gastroenterologists are learning about SIBO and, and testing for it and, and treating it appropriately. But we, I think we can both agree we still have a ways to go there. So,
1: Yeah, and there, one other thing that, I, that is coming to me in like just big clumps where now it's like, oh my gosh, we got to decide something here. We got to figure it out. Chris, I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm seeing so many people that have had symptoms that clearly were some sort of infection that led to some sort of IBS slash SIBO.
0: Yeah,
1: and then the one autoimmune disease. Okay, I'll take it. But then we get into this dysautonomia, mm-hmm. POTS, P O um, T S, Ehlers Danlos thing, which is a whole separate thing. But I'm I'm gathering patients and very smart intelligent engineers accountants they're like look I was normal and then six years ago all this stuff started happening now I've got weird heart rhythms and things like that have you seen any of that in your oh yeah
0: definitely I mean I've been last over the last couple years talking so much about the gut the enteric nervous system and the connection between the nervous system and the immune system and every other system of course Uh, and I think that's one of the most underappreciated aspects of gut health and to your point you know I think moving forward understanding the gut as a nervous system organ and under you know motility as one component of that nervous system function of the gut is is going to be the new next frontier uh, in terms of treating some of these issues because uh, I now look at SIBO and IMO (laughs) As symptoms of a deeper underlying problem, which is usually disrupted um, gut motility, um, and I think that's where the treatments, even the the more recent treatments like rifaximin and neomycin and some of the drugs, have not. You know, they can be effective, but we also need to learn more about why the overgrowth occurs in the first place, and then, you know, develop some better approaches to that long term.
1: Exactly, and that's. Um... That's one of the reasons why it's really fun to start looking at this natural space because when I developed Atron we were looking at these three polyphenols, which the polyphenols are those molecules that make vegetables and fruits very colorful, yeah. the thing that are very prevalent in the Mediterranean diet. So these polyphenols, I love talking to registered dietitians because they just get so into this part of it because they understand <laughs> the antioxidant, the anti-aging, the anti all these other beneficial things. And there's new terms coming out all the time, like how your bacteria will break them down into postbiotics and stuff. But it's, it's just, it's so exciting to sit there and look at, okay, this is a frontier that in my world, I've just waited for a drug rep to show up and go, here's a pamphlet. And now I've got scientists calling going, we should do a study on this and we should do a study. And I'm like, ah, like most right. of us, if I just had more time and money, I would love to do it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. So you threw out a term there, postbiotics. It might be unfamiliar to folks. We've they've heard of antibiotics, certainly. It was the first one, then then uh, probiotics, and then prebiotics. So what are postbiotics for those who aren't familiar with that term?
1: This is um, this is the new frontier in the microbiome space, and I was taught by this by several different PhDs and talk to um, one CEO who's actually the uh, head of this, and she's trying to develop a company to like, look into developing a supplement that would feed this. Postbiotics, by definition, are anything that, uh, that your microbiome will break down into different molecular structures, meaning the metabolism of undigested food. That undigested food can be fiber. It can be... Um, large molecules like these polyphenols that we're talking about mm-hmm. anything that makes it to the colon can be digested by bacteria here's another example would be sugar alcohols when right. my patients come to me and go i've had diarrhea ever since i started this protein shake i'm like can can i see the label it <laughs> yeah. says you know erythritol <laughs> or whatever Ziratol, Mm -hmm. That essentially is the bacteria breaking it down and turning it into basically a laxative. So, Just
0: public service announcement here. Those are often in keto products as well. Uh, For all the listeners, if you switch to keto diet and you're having unexplained diarrhea, that could be (laughs) one potential cause. And I'm, you know, I'm not knocking keto. There's, uh, as you know, I'm a big advocate of it in certain situations. But that is one for people with GI issues that can be a problem
1: yeah it's it's just one of those interesting things that postbiotics and the reason why is because there is in linking the two different fields my society the american college of gastroenterology came out about two months ago with this consensus statement that really we don't see the benefit in probiotics that are there and the society's recommendation is that probiotics probably are equivalent to placebo and what i tell my patients is, if it works, great, stay off, stay on it. If it doesn't, let's try something different. I just bring that up because what you're going to see is this scientific push towards, well, if it's maybe not the probiotic creating this change, is it possibly your microbiome, which is creating this new beneficial product called postbiotics. So that's why the whole postbiotics thing I'm being called by, if you get on, you email one PhD, next thing you know, you're getting another. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. like, this is sweet, but it's a lot of information.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's, there's so much to learn. And, and again, it's an it's a exciting time to be in this field because I think we're making great progress and we already have far more tools now than we had even just five years ago um, to help people with these kinds of conditions. And I want to talk a little bit more about Outron Teal specifically now because... Um, you know, there's a huge, there there's huge challenge right now. And in, in, I think in functional medicine world, which is there are too few of us as functional medicine practitioners. So um, even people who want to see a functional medicine practitioner and have the means to see one, there's often long waiting lists or there are not, no mm-hmm. practitioners available in their area. And then the other issue of course, is just accessibility and cost, um, you know, uh, many people can't afford the the private fees that um, that uh, have to be paid to see a functional medicine provider, and there isn't really good insurance coverage. In most cases, I think that's probably a little different for you in, in your world because you're conventionally trained gastroenterologist, But for you know the the average person who's seeing a just you know general functional medicine practitioner, the um, cost can be a huge obstacle. And people have heard now about SIBO, and they they want to get tested, they want to get treated, but that's not really necessarily possible with their local doctor and they can't see a functional medicine specialist. So, and I'm excited about Autrontio because it's a treatment that I feel like I can ethically recommend to people. It's, it's safe, I don't think it's gonna cause harm. It's got clinical research behind it and it works really well for a lot of people. It's affordable, uh, it's accessible. And for those you know, 95% of people who hear about this stuff but can't access a functional medicine provider, get SIBO breath testing and then get the appropriate treatment, which still could be a Trontio. We, I mean, we, we use it in our clinical practice as well. I think this is a really great option for uh, people out there, not just people with SIBO, I wanna be clear about that, like people with gas, bloating and IBS related symptoms Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about how you, um, you know, even discovered the polyphenols that are in the product and what kind of problems you were trying to solve for when you created this, this product.
1: So I agree with everything that you just said right there. And when we sit there and look at this, when you were saying accessibility to healthcare, one of the things that I'm really excited about is that Atrantil is natural and it is over the counter, but we also realize that it, it may be a little difficult for some people. And so we're going an extra step. We're actually meeting and we're trying to see if Atrantil could become part of a conventional solution, meaning part of insurance companies and such, because that I think that would bridge the gap. That would open up so many doors for more con, um, more natural treatments in lieu of just immediate, um, you know, whatever traditional medicine is there. So it's kind of it'd be really exciting to to see if we can get atraontil out to many other people. Um, but the the whole process of how it came about is polyphenols. Remember that polyphenols are these potent antioxidants. And so when I started to develop this, and we found that a lot of these polyphenols are being used in cattle to decrease the gas production that they were burping up as ruminants. That's when we were able to dig up all this data and go, look, not only is this safe, but we know that these molecules are actually beneficial for your overall health. So when we did the clinical studies on IBSC, irritable bowel with constipation, the bloated, irritable bowel, constipated person. Then we showed that we had really an 88% response on this. And then I did another study where we looked at people that had failed all pharmaceutical options. So in that study, very similar results. We had four out of five people that definitely got better. That being said, it's the true symptoms that we're looking for. So if you bloat up after you eat, Of 15 to 20 minutes that's kind of classic for what we're pretty good at treating what we're really good at treating and other aspects of it was kind of the hard part when we came out and we launched the product a lot of people were trying it out of desperation for other things like functional constipation or they wanted it as a weight loss product all these things are part of something much bigger it shows that people are searching for a solution and they're they're kind of moving away from the traditional doctor thing. So, what you're doing, I think, is amazing. And you say that we lack some of these practitioners. And I love that you have a program that allows people to do that so they can be part of the solution. So, I agree with everything you said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, simultaneous efforts, right? <laughs> to train more practitioners, but also come up with um, interventions that are more accessible and, and, and DIY. And I've, I've always taken both approaches. I'm not one of these people that always says, you know, you, you've got to see your doctor for every answer to every question. <laughs> you know, I, I get really frustrated by that yeah. because not, first of all, a lot of doctors don't have the answers as we both know. And second of all, um, you know, it's a, we want to empower people to be able to take control of their own health and, um, you know, having to see a doctor every time you have any kind of problem is not really the way to do that. So, yeah. So, so let's let's get a little more specific about the polyphenols in the product and and how they work specifically, because that also speaks to why they're effective for IBS C and IBS M. You know, like gas and bloating and constipation or combination of constipation and, and diarrhea rather than just, you know, being something that's for only for people who have uh, diarrhea or loose stools.
1: So it's funny, because when I was trying to figure out how to fix the bloated constipated person, I had a very, very myopic view of what we were doing. And I just said, I want to fix this bloated constipated person. And these are my natural ingredients. And I did not realize that what I was playing with were Mother Nature's secret weapon. So... I'm trying to fix this one problem. And then after we got done with the study, we did our second study, and we finally had our first run of production, everybody came back and they wanted more. And I was like, but do you feel better? And they're like, yeah. And so then I realized that, wait a minute, these molecules are something special. And that's when you start looking into it and you go, oh, they are Mother Nature's secret weapon. A stable polyphenol. So first of all, what is a polyphenol? It's, these, it's the most ubiquitous molecule in the plant kingdom that makes plants very colorful and they're there to protect the plant from uv uh uv rays and viruses and bacteria and insects as it turns out it is a molecule that as humans our microbiome loves and we can digest certain polyphenols that then do amazing things in our body and then other polyphenols are bacteria breakdown and then that's when we talk about those postbiotics but what they can do is that they augment so many things. And the first question I get from everybody at this time is, hey, what about my immune system? Talk to me about polyphenols in the immune system. I mean, are you getting the same thing in your, I mean, everybody yeah, talks about. me Yeah, I mean,
0: it's a big topic right now for sure.
1: So that's what I get. And I answer every single time. Remember that 80% of your immune system is actually in your gut. So, yep. if you do not have a healthy gut, then you will not have a healthy immune system. No absolutely.
0: way around. Yep. And, I mean, Alessio Fasano made that clear years ago, right? That that's, the gut is a trigger for most autoimmune conditions.
1: Absolutely. And that's all based off of his data on the tight junctions, intestinal permeability, yep. zonulin. Love that stuff because now when patients come to me, I can say, hey, this was actually shown. This is. Um, discuss in multiple articles. And then when I sit there and uh, talk to one of my partners, perhaps, they're like, well, there's no science on it. I'm like, no, there's actually a ton of science on it. And then they've kind of learned that I will, I've got a huge Mendeley account. Do you use Mendeley for your uh, journals? Yeah. Yeah. I've got this huge Mendeley account where I'm like, what topic do you want to know? I will flood your inbox with articles. (laughs) Challenge me with no science.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so... You know, the the interesting thing about it um, for me when I was learning more about it and doing my own research, which of course I do, I want to come back to the studies you've done on Atranteo because I, again, one thing I really appreciate about the way you did this, which is uh, unfortunately unusual in the supplement space, is that you did clinical studies before you even released the product and then, and have been researching it since then, you know, usually. Uh, supplements are just released claims are made with no scientific backing, or uh, this is my favorite when uh, I, you know, they say, uh, here's, here's our research. And I click and it's like a word document, you know, <laughs> like white, white paper, word document yeah. or something like that. And I'm like, wait a second. This is not research. <laughs> this doesn't really meet the standards for research, but you know, the the product works uh, as I understand it by, breaking down hydrogen, and then hydrogen is the fuel source for methanogens that produce methane. Um, Correct. And when you, uh, if you understand the, that mechanism, then it, it, it makes sense that it wouldn't only work for methane-predominant conditions and constipation and IBSC, but it would also work for uh, conditions which have hydrogen uh, overproduction because uh, two of the compounds are, of the three are breaking down hydrogen.
1: Exactly. So it works almost like a hydrogen sink. It like steals the, the, the hydrogen, which decreases the bloating, but it also is preventing the methane or the archaea bacteria from adding the other hydrogens there. So after we did the clinical studies on that, and that's why I, I say I'm myopic because since then it's just really changed it's grown, it's only become better. And our studies probably don't do it justice. And I need to find some time to be able to publish some more things. In fact, this is kind of cool, I'll just tell you, I don't, nobody knows about this yet, but um, we were learning so much about the gut health and the immune system. And I was talking to my nurses at my hospital, I'm um, at my endoscopy center, my surgery center. And I just realized how scared everybody was. And I was like, well, this is crazy. We, I know the science behind this. And so we, uh, launched, I got my, uh, my team to agree that we launched a frontline program where we just gave bottles away and said, you know, thank you for doing this. Here's why. If you, you cannot have a healthy immune system. And I would feel really remiss if one of the nurses that I worked with came, you know, came down with something and because they're working real hard and so on. And that was it. We just gave it away. And it was, it was perfect. It was cool. And then the survey afterwards, the feedback we've gotten is really incredible that so many people didn't realize how good they felt after they started taking it. It fixed the bloating in many, but a lot of these frontline workers were felt just better going to work, knowing that they had a healthy, um, at least a healthy gut. And that's where everybody should feel. Honestly. I mean, everybody should feel like they are eating appropriately. They're taking care of their gut. And you've got this, you don't, you're not going into any place knowing that if you don't have a healthy gut, you don't have a healthy X, Y, Z.
0: Yeah, the gut's kind of the canary in the coal mine, isn't it? It's like um, mm-hmm. often where problems start to show up. And I think that that awareness is is starting to take hold, at least in, in the group of people that, you know, are, are, are our audience. Um, it's not quite there in the general public yet, but... You know, Parkinson's, for example, there's a condition that is strongly linked to gut health and changes in gut motility. And it's not entirely clear whether that's, you know, there's probably a two a bi-directional relationship there where changes to the brain and nervous system, you know, affect the gut. But we also know there's been prospective studies and other studies that show that there's also probably a causal relationship between changes in the gut to eventual changes in the brain and nervous system that are diagnosed as Parkinson's.
1: So that would, that would honestly be, be my opus as my, yeah. as my career. If I could figure out a way to protect the brain and make dementia you know just gone that would right. be my opus because yeah that brain gut connection is something that is so fascinating well about. i
0: think that's where we're headed and it's, it's so interesting that this this connection was well known back all the way as as early as the 1930s there were some researchers at Duke that talked about the gut brain skin axis i discovered this when i was doing some writing and research uh several years ago and i was blown away <laughs> you know that that the gut brain skin access was a thing it was known um, in the 1930s, um, you know, wow. almost 100 years ago, these pioneers at Duke, they talked about even using probiotics to treat these conditions. They didn't have that, that word wasn't prevalent by, uh, by then, but they talked about, they, they, in their study, they talked about using cultured milk, yogurt, to treat these conditions. So you know, it's sometimes in science, it's about rediscovering things that were known but lost, you know, in the past. You know what I'm sitting here
1: thinking? is, I'm like, I've got no excuse. I've got the <laughs> internet. These cats are yeah. doing it in 30- They were doing <laughs> it
0: in the 1930s. I'll send you the some of the papers. No, it'll make me recent. feel horrible. Like I'm underachieving. Yeah, no. So, but I mean, it's, what's encouraging is that there's, there's so much research now that is, you know, and we of course have better tools now for kind of illuminating the the specific mechanisms of these connections. And and I really do think that in, in the next 10 or 20 years, we're gonna totally revolutionize the, the way that we treat these conditions. And, and a big part of that is like you're saying, is just is going to be maintaining good gut health. Uh, um, and that will start, you know, with reducing antibiotic exposure during childhood and, you know, aim, aiming for vaginal birth when it's possible. And if not, you know, taking steps to seed a healthy microbiome, which, you know, Dr. Blazer and his wife, uh, his wife, whose name, unfortunately, I'm not um, remembering right now, who's, I think, an OBGYN. And she's explored, you know, different ways of of inoc- basically seeding a healthy microbiome in women uh, in, in C-section births. Wow. The, cool. there, there's, so, there's so much that, that we're learning about this. And and the the reason that atrantil is cool is that, and you know, I mean, there are many reasons, but the polyphenols I think have like pleiotropic effects, right? It's not that's it's exactly not it. Yeah. Just about breaking down hydrogen, but we're finding that they there's so many other things that they do, and they probably even going back to the root cause of SIBO may have some impact on the gut nervous system that we don't even fully understand yet.
1: Yeah, totally. So when you start looking at this it it almost seems you're exactly right a pleiotropic effect is exactly what goes on because you can't i'm seeing this over and over again you can't outsmart mother nature so when you look at how a whole molecule a whole plant does something and then somebody wants to patent it cuts off a portion of the molecule makes a pill out of it and then puts it back out it's never It's never as successful as the whole molecule. And I'm thinking like CBD, cannabidiol versus Epidiolex, the pharmaceutical agent that does really good in this one thing, but it has side effects and things like that. So the polyphenol, if you have a large, stable polyphenol, and that's why we chose the three that we did, the one that throws everybody off when we first launch is Cabracho Colorado. Cabracho Colorado is one of the largest most stable polyphenols in both an acidic environment and a basic environment and what that means is a lot of times people take supplements but they're like wait a minute have they done the pharmacodynamics on whether this gets absorbed does this get destroyed by acid does it get destroyed by base when it goes into the small bowel can it survive the pancreatic enzymes and so on so when we were doing this this large stable polyphenol called cabracho actually stays in the small bowel, which is why it does that one effect. The beauty is that since it's so large and stable, it survives until it gets to your colon, where Mm -hmm. your own microbiome does some really cool things. And that's where we've got papers to show that a large stable proanthocyanidin like this kicks off smaller phenols, terms that other people have heard of, like quercetin or, yeah ecgc the uh, Mm -hmm. green tea extract and so on so those are they combine to form almost like lego pieces i've described it before that like think of like a large lego model of something i don't know i I, for some reason whenever i say this the millennium falcon comes to mind and then it's uh as it's going through certain lego pieces can be digested in the gi tract so you knock off a couple and then what's left is a large chunk of it that then gets Lego pieces get knocked off, those get absorbed, and that's the beneficial aspect of these molecules. So yeah, they're having a cool. post,
0: post-biotic effect as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, so it was just so cool to think about this one particular problem and then realize, well, wait a minute. That's why I think this frontline program that we did, and we're going to end up publishing the results on this, that um, people were so overwhelmingly pleased probably i get it they probably you know they got free stuff so (laughs) but they were also pleased because some of them had improved gut health others just felt better and that's where i think it comes down to it's that all these combined effects ultimately do something
0: right and you know as i mentioned before like the two ways to get energy you know food and oxygen and if your gut is if you've got gas and bloating then that's basically a sign that you're not breaking down and absorbing and assimilating nutrients the way that you should be, right? It's a pretty like front and center imme- uh, um, immediate sign of that. You don't really need any other studies to or or, or even tests, <laughs> right, to tell you that, right? And I mean that from a certain perspective, that's the blessing <laughs> of, of that is you know with other. So other conditions, you do need testing to confirm what's going on. But in this case, if you're bloated and, and gassy and have you know change like diarrhea, constipation, whatever, that's it's a pretty obvious sign that that your digestive system is not working optimally. And if that's the case, it probably means you're not absorbing um, nutrients. And I'm, here I'm talking about both macronutrients like fat, carbohydrates, and protein. That fuel our body, but also my, all of the many micronutrients that we know are critical for for health now, also are, are you know enter through the digestive tract. So, um, you know, it's it makes perf- if you really think about that and you understand it, it makes perfect sense that if it's not just about reducing gas and bloating, it's about improving your nutrient status, which then basically improves every aspect of health because our health is primarily uh, determined by our nutrient status.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of nutrient status, one of the common mistakes that I get from a lot of my patients is that they are very, um, they are very self-motivated and they're, many of them are type A and they're gonna fix this uh, problem yeah. and they will put themselves on, let's say a very restrictive diet like FODMAP diet. Yeah for yeah. a really long time and i'm like i admire your tenacity, tenacity but, yeah but you're gonna end up with some micronutrient deficiencies if we right. don't broaden your diet a little bit
0: right usually it's for my patients are even more hardcore it's like aip low fodmap ketogenic <laughs> aip low salicylate um, low histamine all combined together. You know? oh my gosh. Um, I was yeah. going
1: to complain. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm compl- I mean, right look, I, I get it,
0: you know, and I'm, 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 I was one of those people. It's when you're sick and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you find something that makes you feel better, uh, at least temporarily, you're going to stick with that. And, and especially if you don't have the help and guidance that you need to, Find other solutions, so it's definitely not knocking our patients. But that that's a good example of what what you know why we need more of these kinds of interventions that can provide relief and help people get back to a broader, more nutrient dense and varied diet. Because I think what you're pointing out there is that there are potential downsides to long-term res- restrictive diets. You know, I have no problem with the low FODMAP diet temporarily, but if someone's going to be on that you know, for, for years, or if they're going to be on AIP, keto, low FODMAP variation for years, I think that's not optimal. It's, it's way better to correct the digestive issues so that people can actually eat more food and enjoy more food too. Absolutely. (laughs) That's that's important. I
1: mean, that's, I mean, eating, enjoying, socializing, uh, you know, if there's ever, we're in this period uh, of COVID where stress is through the roof, when you're stressed out, you automatically affect a lot of different systems and neuropeptides, Mm. one of them being oxytocin.
0: Yeah, I just saw that study on oxytocin and stress and digestion. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, we get stressed, you change your intestinal motility. And sometimes you can develop bacterial overgrowth, they were look, they were looking at gastroparesis. And then they realized that in these rats that they were looking at, that if there was higher levels of oxytocin, then the motility improved and I'm sitting here just going oh my gosh I was reading yeah. that and just went we have got a social distancing the the, the yeah, perfect it's a, it's scenario pers- chronic yeah. stress
0: oxytocin or- depletion and- yes oh yeah. yeah. the nrf2
1: yeah. depletion and that's a whole yeah. separate thing and yeah. so I'm like look at least have an atron teal and hug somebody you know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah seriously i mean uh someone in your own household maybe or um but it, it's true It's that's exactly what i was referring to before i've become very interested in the connection between stress and the gut and and actually i just it's funny we're talking about this i literally wrote an email about this this morning it will go out tomorrow or sometime this week um, that I think that this connection between stress and, and the, and the understanding the gut as a nervous system, organ is one of the, the, the elephant in the room, um, oh. when it comes to GI conditions and.
1: Well, well I'm going to throw this out because when I said that I've had a very interesting group of patients that I've collected, they're amazing people there, but they're so smart and I've yeah. got graduate students. Yeah, and i've got a business people and they're and they're sick and they're helping each other now and i'm watching this so i'm i'm laughing i'm i'm like i'm sitting there thinking i'm like okay at some point we got to rent a plane go over everybody gets trained by chris and then we come back <laughs> but this is going to be the this is going to be the dream team of people that will figure out the motility aspect yeah. because they're thinking outside the box and they're amazing and they're and um i I've got, it's going to be really cool. It's really cool to watch when people say, we'll figure this out and we'll tell you how to tell other people. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, I'm yeah kind that's of good. It's going that's to be really That's what
0: we neat. do. We learn from our patients and, and you know, the scientists and the researchers who are on the front lines. So uh, let's, I want to talk a little bit about practicalities here. Um, since I do recommend teal to, you know, just not only my patients, but friends, family members, general audience, I want to talk about some kind of tips and tr- tricks um, for how to use it, since this is something you've been doing for a long time now. We both have, a, you know, a clinical experience with it. Where should people start in terms of uh, dosage? And maybe that answer is different for different people, depending on what their, complaints are, what's the upper limit um, that you think is safe in terms of daily dosing, and then, you know, let's talk a little bit about duration of use and, you know, what a kind of maintenance dose might look like after the initial problem has been addressed.
1: Okay, so if you're somebody that has these gastrointestinal issues, remember uh, the whole, what we were talking about before, if you can even tolerate it, you're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm used to it. Remember that that if you don't have intestinal health, you don't really have other health. So keep that in mind. So the, I think yeah. it's a much bigger audience like we were talking about. Yeah. So if you have intestinal issues, which seems similar to what we we're talking about, bloating after eating in our clinical trials, and since then we've treated hundreds of thousands of people and we're getting very similar results. The P values in our trials were we're actually pretty good so we know that we can extrapolate that so if you're having issues two tablets three times a day with or without meals we have found that some people are sensitive because of the nature of it that Mm -hmm. probably with meals to start yeah and then see how you tolerate so i recommend that two capsules three times a day with meals and you're going to do that for at least 20 days and that's because what I have seen is is that people will get much better and then they stop oh, yeah. seven days in, R- eight yeah. days in, and then they're like, oh, then start coming back. I'm like, but back if we're mistake. dealing, yeah, if we're dealing with this bacterial overgrowth, let's just eradicate this because even even when you're taking it, remember that you are ingesting these very beneficial nature's secret weapon polyphenols so that you can get these benefits so that's the that's the bloated person that's had issues for a long time now we, let me ab-
0: just interject too on that we know from research that metha- methane you know archaea and bacteria in the small intestine can be pretty tenacious and the 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 risk of recurrence is high especially if you don't treat properly so I definitely have found that in my practice as well. One of the biggest mistakes people make is stopping too soon and, and then it just comes, comes back. So you, you definitely, I would err on the side of, you know, taking it a little bit longer than uh, you think you, you should for that reason.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, even though I was part of the studies with Zyfaxin, all of my clinical practice is double the time that, that the FDA approved Zyfaxin for. hmm so I do the same thing with Zyfaxin if I'm using it, I will, I will use it longer.
0: Yeah, we, I, I am sure you've seen those same studies of, there was one out of Korea that showed the duration of Zyfaxin needed co- correlated with the breath test value at 90 minutes, So which makes sense, right? I mean, if you have severe bacterial overgrowth, it's probably gonna take longer, but the FDA guidelines just say 10 days for everybody, or yeah. 14, you know, so.
1: On a, on a super quick thing, just as clinician to clinician, um i'm the the whole breath test thing and i know that you've had multiple experts on there what it, the what i like to use it for is almost like a high to scan if it's right really positive or really negative okay let's sit and talk yeah and i'm having some fun with adjusting how my patients take atrantil based on the timing of the gas if it's further down, I'm like, let's take three, three times a day. Cause I want a yeah. higher load in that area. Yeah. If it's yeah. up high, well, that's one of the things we're trying to figure out. How do I get you to open up without getting the tannin astringency to get going? And, and I've actually um, really completely reversed two people where it was all about the, Location of where they were having their issues.
0: Interesting. All right. So, uh, returning to we talked about two, three times a day is is stand pretty standard for GI issues. You just mentioned a case where you might use three, three times a day. That's for someone who had access to a sibo breath test, and we saw you know saw late late hydrogen or methane spike. Uh, what about for just general you know people who don't have access to breath testing? Is there anyone who would benefit from taking more than two, three times a day for, for a short period of time?
1: Well, what we know is, is that these molecules do not get absorbed. And so they're gonna to go to your colon and then do what we talked about before. So if it is a situation where somebody has these issues and they take two, three times a day and they end up with a die-off reaction in the beginning, then sometimes we back off and say, let's ease into it. And then you can do that. And I'm sure that you've talked about the whole uh, die off reaction before. And then there's other people that um, like we talked about that probably bloat. And when, when I listen to them and they're like, yeah, about an hour after I eat, man, I'm just miserable. If the person says 15 minutes, you can't have an idea of where it's going on. So there is, uh, to our knowledge, and I've actually taken obscene amounts of this um, over the years. I, um, when we were studying it, I took a whole bottle one time, I don't recommend that for anybody, just to make sure that there were no other side effects associated with it. So, as far as taking too much, um, two, three times a day is what we studied, so that's what we would recommend. If you took a little more than that there's no real reason to believe that there'd be any type of toxicity or any type of side effects from it so it's it's extremely safe because these are uh molecules in mother nature and then i can speak to that because
0: i didn't i didn't perform the studies i have a little more freedom than you do (laughs) well it's funny because we're
1: meeting with these scientists and you realize the crazy amounts that they're giving you know in other studies there's actually the beauty is, you're going to hear a lot about this because there's currently studies going on um, in South America, and there's studies in China, and there's studies in Italy right now where they're looking at this exact molecule that's in atrantil for other things. And right. you know, a year from now, we're going to hear a lot about this. Yeah, and, I mean, I
0: we basically tell our patients to start with that same dose and. But there have been several patients who felt like they got a significant benefit at the dose and then just on their own even without consulting with us they decided to increase it you know to maybe up to four three times a day and they got a better effect and so well, even then
1: so i was with mark pimentel at a dinner and we were talking and he goes you know what's crazy is we submitted for this, you know, our phase two trial, he's like, but I think a much higher dose of 900 milligrams, like three times a day on mice, works even better. Hmm. But in that world, you, you, you put your stake in the ground. and You go, we're all in on this. Right. And so even then, I wonder. I wonder if even higher doses of like zifaxin would be more effective. And yeah,
0: things, so. it's possible. So okay. So then, what about you know? You mentioned 20 days. That that's like the therapeutic window. Um, let's consider two different scenarios. One scenario is after 20 days, they're like 80, 90 percent better, and they feel like okay, I've I've achieved that goal. Um, what should that person do? And then the other scenario is after 20 days, maybe they've they've had some improvement, but you know it's like 40, 50 percent. They still feel like they have a ways to go. What what would what should that person
1: do? Those are two great scenarios. So you have somebody that's 80% better. And from a holistic perspective, I'm really happy that they're better. Can we take them to 100% on the usual stuff? Mm -hmm. Modify the diet a little bit, um, you know, make sure they're sleeping and so on. But we do know that, and this is from my own experience, not published. This is experience from me and all my other uh, colleagues that if you're 80% better and you continue to do this, one of the reasons why I spoke with a scientist in Italy about this, and they said, but of course, because what you're doing is you're increasing the microbial diversity over time. So when you give your microbiome polyphenols, then these, these bacteria say, okay, we need to diversify here. If you give your microbiome a Big Mac every day, Then the bacteria that love Big Macs, say, we're cool, let's just stay right here. So we think that that may be one of the beneficial long-term effects with that. Mm -hmm. And and the, so 80% stick with it. So yeah, what
0: what does a maintenance dose look like for those people, if that's what you would suggest?
1: My maintenance dose for uh, the usual antioxidant and anti-aging, anti-inflammatory would just be two every day. Yeah. I would say 95% of all my patients take at least two every day. And at any given point, they're taking two, three times a day, depending on how they feel.
0: Right. Kind of up and down, depending on what's going on.
1: Yeah. And so what's really intriguing to me is that that person that shows up and I'm going to say, I may have misheard you, but did you say they're 20% better?
0: No, let's say someone who's 40, 50% better. And so they're not, they didn't achieve the goal that they set out to achieve. Is it safe for them to do another 20-day cycle at that dose? Or you know, what would you suggest in that case? Like If, so, if, they, f- if they still feel like they're improving. Because I guess we could break that down further where after 20 days, you got one person who just doesn't feel like they're improving at all and they stop. They, they don't feel like they're getting benefit. But I'm talking about a person who's like, they've been gradually improving over that 20 days. It's just been a bit slower than they, you know, hoped for and they're still improving. So they don't want to stop, you know, should they stop at 20 days or should no, they keep
1: going? Not at all. In fact, I think this is kind of something that a lot of people have different times and when they actually do this. So mm-hmm. one of the hardest things is that I want to tell my patients I'm like, look, we got a 100% money-back guarantee. Commit to this thing. Just do it. So don't take two capsules. And this happens in medicine also. I'll, I'll prescribe a drug. And they'll be like, and they being patients, they'll come back and go, well, I, it didn't, didn't help. How many doses? Two. No. This is not how this works. Commit to this. <laughs> right. this, is a, this is a feeding your microbiome. This is changing the intestinal lumen so that you have what you need to absorb your nutrients have a healthy immune system and what we know is that there's no other pharmaceutical agent that does this at least right now i think dr pimentel is about ready to launch his um unabsorbed statin product. in
0: 010 code name i don't know what the actual name is going to be but yeah
1: yeah exactly and then the so two capsules every single day is there now the final group would be me which is i'm gluten intolerant and so i generally am paleo all the time uh, but occasionally when i do eat some gluten for whatever reason i get pretty bad distress so we do know that these molecules and it's been really looked at with smaller phenolic molecules where these polyphenols bind to gliadin and then your body doesn't quite absorb it the way it should because it's Get this little gel around it. And so gluten intolerance is why I always carried around with me. And then, in a little while ago, you mentioned as far as timing, dosing, amount. Basically, everybody I'm within speaking distance to is on this and they've been on it for years and years. So, I've got employees that were with me in the very beginning and we've all been taking it. I've been taking it, my family's been taking it. So, we know. That I'm probably like eight years into the original beta samples of it, taking it. So, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm probably the <laughs> the most extreme version of uh, right. trying to figure out if this thing's gonna hurt anybody.
0: Right. And what were the, uh, remind me of the timeframes in the study? What
1: what were the periods? Oh, so we launched the product five and a half years ago which means no
0: i mean the how long people took it in the study
1: oh i'm sorry they um actually took it um, about 14 days i think it was 14 days two weeks to keep it easy yeah yeah
0: Yeah, that's the problem with studies they're so darn expensive right (laughs) you want to design a study that's a year long of people taking something it's uh that's going to be prohibitively expensive in most contexts
1: it, it really is. And yeah. when you start looking at, um, okay, well, what is, the, what is the benefit? Well, now we're getting something really cool because I said before that we're meeting with companies about getting on formulary. What if insurance companies start saying, okay, we believe that you have to fail Atron before you can get put on X, Y, and Z? Well, that's a, that's a, a really easy way to determine okay do does the science does the research match up with the other aspects because those insurance mm-hmm. companies they do all the homework they look at all that and it would just be so cool to start having accessibility for a lot of different things like well whatever i mean all different kinds of products that uh, you use on your on your patients
0: yeah yeah Any other um, things that people should be aware of uh, in terms of taking this, like any contraindications or any just things to keep in mind?
1: I'll I'll just say what I tell all my patients. Um, It's not been studied in children, and it's not been studied in pregnant or lactating women. So the FDA requires us to say that that cannot be used. I tell anybody who is on an anti-rejection medicine as if you Mm -hmm. were, uh, you know, like an organ transplant or something like that. Or if you're on a blood thinner, because those have very narrow therapeutic windows. I say, I don't even want to, I don't want to.
0: Yeah. Let's not risk it.
1: Let's just not risk it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's, um, it's great to have this option uh, for people because uh, we know just from analytics that of all of the issues i mean i i'm i've always been a generalist as you know i'm i'm not a specialist in one particular you know condition focus area but having said that gut health is the number one interest amongst you know my podcast listeners and and email subscribers and blog uh, visitors social media followers etc and, and and it's really frustrating. It's been frustrating for me in the past to know that there's, you know, I'm only able to help directly a a teeny percentage of those people. And then even through the training programs, both the practitioner and health coach training programs, you know, fortunately, we're able to help more people through through those, but it's still just scratching the surface. So having, you know, a research-backed, clinically validated intervention like this that people can order from the internet and, and uh, is pretty amazing. And it's, I wish I had a similar tool for some of the other conditions that I treat. So. Um, well,
1: I wish that uh, I had some more resources and more time, and we would collaborate and build a natural research company that would uh, fund itself and it would be so cool to come around and do that and
0: it's it's on the very long list right of things that we want to do which
1: by the way you act like you don't uh, you're like i wish i could help more people i think that all of your listeners you have very loyal listeners uh, most of my patients i would say almost all of them listen to you and so you know the idea that that your tribe can share and recruit more people can understand this kind of thing this is where you keep growing and i love that
0: yeah, this it's it's my mission. And so I, I'm just grateful for whatever we've been able to do as a community to help help folks out there. So uh along those lines, um I want to tell people where they can uh learn more about Autrantial and and uh, buy some if they are interested in trying it out. So the link is crescerco dot slash So that's A T R A N T I L my confession that I was pronouncing that incorrectly for a good 2 years I think before oh, I <laughs>
1: That's a that's a, if, if we had more time talk that's a whole to you. separate conversation I, That's my only complaint
0: about you Ken is why the heck did you call it <laughs> Atrantil Anyways slash atrantil and Ken has been very generous and his team and offering up to 38% off on this is order. um this
1: is this is extremely this is uh sitting with the team 38 percent off and it's because you make a huge difference and this is we just want to get yeah. this out there so well, this is I, a I, very uh, unique opportunity
0: i had to abuse can to get him to make this offer so i hope you guys take <laughs> him up on it because it's not something that you uh, would typically have access to so yeah and let us know how it goes uh, send us an email or you know, comment on social media, uh, send a question in chriscrestercom slash podcast question. I'm very curious to, to hear how it works for you because it's been so effective in both our clinical practice and just also the, amongst the general audience of people that have been taking it. Um, so yeah, I look forward to- And I'll always go so far,
1: when, when I see my patients, if they have classic symptoms and they don't respond, that's when I start going, okay, let's sit down and let's start looking for zebras. Exactly. So if, if you yeah. don't respond, please go talk to your doctor still.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There might be something else. You know, Kent is also an expert in IBD and, you know, inflammatory bowel disease. That's, that's another ball of wax. It doesn't mean <laughs> you, you won't benefit from AtronTeal, but there's obviously other stuff going on there that may need to be addressed. So, Cresser.co slash AtronTeal and uh, Dr. Brown pleasure to speak with you again. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. And Oh, uh, thank you so much. We can meet up again in person one of these days when that's a thing again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm becoming my oxytocin levels are decreasing. I need some social interaction.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Keep sending your questions in to chriscresser.com slash podcast question and we'll talk to you next time. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscressor.com slash You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast. So it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.